Well, good morning. Good morning, Jerry. I love you, Jerry. Uh, two quick things before we dive in. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and jump to Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, last Sunday, actually on Monday, but Sunday we gave these out, uh, we started a 40-day fast, 40 days of prayer and fasting. And so if you did not pick up a prayer and devotional guide on your way out today, be sure to grab one of these. They are free. Um, and uh, even if it's like, well, you guys started, I'm a week late, that's okay. Just jump on in. Just go ahead and grab one, jump on in. Today is day seven. Tomorrow will be day eight. Uh, and we would just love, uh, honestly, for everyone to, to really just join us as we do this. Uh, this is something for me that last year revolutionized my relationship with the Lord. And uh, as we go through this, I'm just praying that the same thing continues to happen uh, this year, not just for me, but for my family and for our church community. The other thing I want to just throw out there, uh, well, I guess really two things. Uh, one is if you're new with us, I just want to say welcome to City Church. My name is Mike, and, and uh, I would love to be able to meet you uh, after we dismiss. If you would, fill out a Connect card, um, and you can meet us in the lobby in the host area. You'll see us where the big welcome home sign. I, we just love to get to Say hi and get to know you a little bit. Uh, the other thing is for all of our men in the house today. Uh, what's up, guys? Um, all of our men, uh, I, I just feel like we need to do like a hoorah, you know, like not that we're in the Marine Corps or anything. Uh, but some of y'all were. Anyways, for all of our men, next Saturday we are having our very first men's breakfast and I would love to invite you to come and join us from 9 a.m. until 11 a.m. There's going to be uh, breakfast. Uh, for those that are fasting meat, like myself, we're going to have, like, vegetarian bacon. Exactly. That's what I said. There's no excitement. But Lorenz was like, you have to have bacon because there's going to be some guys that are not going to come unless we have bacon. So we are also going to have bacon uh, for those that are still eating meat. Uh, during this fast, but I would love to invite you to join us uh, next um, next Saturday at 9 a.m. We'll be meeting here out in the lobby. Uh, hey, we have been in a collection of talks. Uh, this is part six, part six over the book of Matthew, where we're looking at Matthew's take of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are walking through it line by line. Uh, and I'm really excited about today because today personally speaks to me. I believe it's going to speak to many of us in the house today. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, Matthew, even though it's, it's one book of, of um, 28 different chapters, it's kind of broken up into different segments. And today we're really closing out the first segment. And next week we will be moving into another segment. Uh, and you'll kind of pick up that, uh, the, the rhythm of that. But before we dive into this, I want to I read from Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Since we have a, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, our confession being the confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of 
need. Uh, the reason I say that is because where we're going today is we're going to look at a very uh, dark season for the life of Jesus for the first couple verses. Last week, we ended in this glorious, beautiful scene where Jesus uh, comes up to where John the Baptist is preaching and he's heralding the good news about repent. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walks up and Jesus is baptized, right? He's baptized um, and then the heavens part open, a dove descends down, and you hear the voice of God, the Spirit of God falls, and the voice of God says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And, and where we're going today is an immediate opposite shift uh, from where we were last week, and you'll see that very, very quickly. Right after Jesus is baptized, he enters into 40 days of prayer and fasting. Now, what I love about this is we've had this series planned out for a very long time, and it was literally like this week that I was like, oh, how cool, Jesus is praying and fasting in the text for 40 days, and we're praying and fasting in the text for 40 days. Wasn't planned that way, but I guess Jesus kind of planned it that way. Um, and so we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 22 today. We have a lot to cover, and I'm going to try to move quick. So you guys Ready? Yeah, all right, awesome. I am excited about this. Verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which I could imagine so. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. One of the things that I think, better yet, I know is important for us to understand is that it was the Spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. You guys catch that? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And, and I think sometimes in our lives, there are decisions that we make, might I even say the enemy, can lead us into a dark path or into areas where we are in a wilderness season in our lives. But there are some times where the Spirit of God allows your life to be led into wilderness seasons as well. And the reason for that is because God cares more about your character than he does your capabilities. God cares more about what's happening on the inside of your heart than he does what you can do for him. And, and this is something that we see modeled with the life of Jesus before he ever fed 5,000, before he performed any miracles, before he raised the dead. He went through a season of testing to model what it would look like for those who would ultimately one day say yes to following Jesus and walk in his footsteps. I think about wintertime right now. How many of you guys are done with the cold? All right, how many of you guys are enjoying the cold? All right, we're going to do an altar call right now. Right now, come up here. We're going to pray for your salvation, right? Um, I, am, I am ready for flowers and lavender smells and, and um, the sun shining. And it, like 40 degrees is going to look good on Thursday, all right? I mean... 
Come on, it, it was like 9 a.m. or 9 a.m., 9 degrees this morning whenever I got in the truck with like a negative wind chill of 10. And uh, it, it's just, I, I just hate the winter season, okay? And God is working with my heart through that. And so um, also I just want to give a big shout out to Adam Mello because he showed up about two months ago and he's like, we bought two packs of vitamin D. This is for you. And I've been popping those suckers. I've been taking double the dosage of it. Like, come on, Jesus, help me, right? But winter is a season of death. All of the leaves fall off the trees. The, the, uh, the plants die. The flowers go away. It's a season of death. It's a season for me of testing my character and my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Uh, for many of us, it is the same way. Like you want to wake up and you're just in a grumpy mood. Can I get an amen to that? Like, um, and, and I mean, I mean, summertime, the sun comes out and I'm like, woohoo, let's go swimming at 6 a.m., right? Um, wintertime, I'm like, oh my gosh, give me a cup of coffee. Like, don't talk to me, kids. You know, it's, I go through my, y'all just pray for me. That's what I'm getting at. It is a hard season. But winter represents kind of the wilderness seasons that sometimes our lives go into. It represents seasons of hardship, seasons of trials, seasons, might I even say, of testing, where we have to learn to trust God. And what God does in those seasons of testing is he develops in us a character that is worthy of your calling. See, many of us, we are called to the great things that God wants to do through us, but right now we don't have the character to back up our calling. And if you don't have the character to back up your calling, whenever you pursue your calling, you're going to end up falling flat on your face because you don't have it in here. There are three things that we're about to see that Jesus is tempted with in this text. The first thing that we see right here is Jesus is tempted with the lust of the flesh. He had been fasting for 40 days. I bet he was hungry. I bet he was starving. He probably lost a lot of weight and was very, very uh, fragile, might even say frail in this this moment, and Satan comes up to him and he says, if you are the son of God. Now, something that's important for us to understand is that Satan knows that he's the son of God because the son of God created Satan. Like the son of God created him as an angel, and through his rebellion, Lucifer, the angel Lucifer, uh, rejected the goodness of God and was cast out of heaven, him and one-third of the angels uh, up in heaven. Different talk, different day. We'll get into that later. So Satan clearly knew that he was the son of God. But what was he doing? He was tempting him because Jesus was at a point of weakness in his life. He was hungry. He, he was desiring some food. And for many of us, we get tempted with the lust of the flesh to satisfy an instant gratification that we desire in that moment. For some of us, it's like, man, I just really, really want to do this thing. I just really, really want to fill this need right here. I, I just, I just want to feel better about my day or feel better. It's been a hard day, and I just need something to take the edge off. And we find that we're hungry in our hearts. We're hungry for something that's only going to satisfy us temporarily. I want you to think about this. 
If Jesus would have turned the rocks into bread, he would have ate the bread, and it would have satisfied him for what? Six hours? Maybe 12 hours? And then he would have been hungry again. And when we satisfy our flesh, that's what tends to happen in our lives, is, is we'll satisfy our flesh, we'll satisfy an urge, we satisfy us in that moment, but give it 12 hours, maybe a day, hey, let's even say a week later, and that same desire ends up creeping its head because nothing will satisfy it. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the word of God. And he's talking about eternal satisfaction, e e eternal gratification. And what's presented to us today is something that will satisfy us temporarily and something that will satisfy us eternally. Here, here might be some things that maybe you're hungry for today. And I just want to kind of um, just say this. And listen, I'm going to go to some areas. And if you've got little ones in here, you may have to have a conversation after church today. Um, just know that we love you guys. All right. Uh, physical hunger. All right. I, don't raise your hands with any of these. Please don't. I love you guys. Please don't. But maybe you've got physical hunger. Physical hunger where you're constantly stressed and you find yourself stress eating. Do you, do you know what I crave whenever I'm stressed out? Cashews. Don't judge me. Cashews. I'm telling you, my wife can, which I didn't realize they were like $7 until yesterday I went to the grocery store. And I'm like, $7 for a bag of cashews? So I got salt and vinegar almonds, all right, because it was like half the price. All right, I'm just living on a budget. Um, but, but like, I, I could just like stress eat cashews. And if I wasn't fasting, I'd be stress eating Oreos. There we go. Oh, I just, I just hit a nerve with somebody. Like, just like, oh, this is so good, you know, and, you know, double stuffed. Um, but like, like we, we get this physical hunger, maybe because of stress eating and, 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 or because of stress, and we just find ourselves stress eating. Um, maybe it's something to take the edge off. You've had a long day at work. Your boss yelled at you. It's been really stressful with deadlines and projects. And all you want is just a drink at the end of the day, just a glass or two or three of wine uh, to just cut off the edge of the day. It's instant gratification. It may help you in the moment, but six hours from now or the next day, you're going to wake up with a massive headache. Or how about sexual hunger? Many of us find ourselves where we're, we're, we're hungry sexually to be satisfied, Right? And, and we do things that we know we shouldn't do to satisfy something in the instant moment instead of looking at it in the longer or the bigger picture. Another example could be a social hunger. And you're just hungry to be accepted. You're just hungry to have that gratification from other people in your lives. All of these things may satisfy you in the moment, but you will find yourself again still lusting at the flesh, which is why Jesus says, man cannot live on bread alone, but you can live and you can bet the farm on every promise that is in the word of God. This is why scripture is so incredibly important to every person in this world. 
It is so incredibly important because when you get the lust of the flesh, when you get that temptation, you can do what Jesus does, and he rebukes it using the word of God. Jesus even said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I will satisfy you. Come to me and you will not be hungry anymore. He continues on in verses 5 through 7. And he, he says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. So Satan brings Jesus to the top of the temple and essentially says, look out. Look at all of this that's out there. What is he speaking to right here? He's speaking to the lust of pride. The lust of pride or the pride of life. And what he's saying is he's saying, like, if you... Just worship me. This is Satan talking to Jesus. If you just worship me, you're going to be over all of this. I, I think about how often in our lives that tends to happen where we just think that if we could do X or if we could do Y, certain things will end up taking place. And, and might I just throw this out there? It's a little bit extra. This is not in my notes. Satan uses the word of God against Jesus. Okay, and so let me just go on a little bit of a rant for just, for just a moment for us in here. Um, Jesus knows the Scripture. Jesus wrote the Scripture. Satan knows the Scripture. In church, I hate to tell you this, he knows it better than you. He knows it better than you. And Satan is going to take the words of Jesus, the words in the Scripture, and he twists a few things here and a few things there to try to manipulate Jesus to get Jesus to fall into temptation. And isn't that what Satan does? He, he takes a few things here. He takes, well, God said this over here. Or, or God's, this is exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. Satan comes up like the great deceiver as a snake, and he leans over to Eve, and he says, Did God say not to touch the tree? And eat it? No. God actually said just don't eat from the tree. He takes the word of God and he twists it. And it's important for us to know the word of God and to understand the word of God in the context that we are being, uh, that we're reading it and that is being presented to us to be able to understand what it is that God is truly trying to say through the text. And, and this is where, uh, I'm almost done with my little soapbox. This is where you get people who are like, um, I'm, I'm going to go here. They're, they're name it and claim it guys. And they take a few scriptures and they, you know, shout, you know, we're just going to name it. We're just going to claim it. And everyone, someone needs to sow me a love offering seed of $1,000 today. Look, if you want to sow me a seed of $1,000, go right ahead, okay? But if I ever get up here and I say that to you guys, for me, like, call the elders, because that's where we get in danger. It's important for us to understand the context. The other thing with the pride of life is, is God opposes the proud. 
It says that in James. God opposes the proud. When we are prideful, God opposes us. He is against us. Like that, I promise you it's going to get better in just a minute. All right, it's not going to be all doom and gloom. It's like, Michael, where, it's like I brought family here today, and like you're up here talking about, anyways. He continues on. Let's um, look at verses 8 through 10. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So we see that Jesus was tested with the lust of the flesh. He's tested with the pride of life. And here we see he's tempted and tested with the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And and I think about the, the lust of the eyes and how easy it is for us to just want stuff. Are, are you a person who is... Uh, what are those? What are those? Where you're like you're going to go shop and and you know they got the the shelves impulse impulse buyer. Anyone? Okay, thank you for admitting the truth in church for those and those that didn't raise your hand. I guess thank you for telling the truth. I'm sometimes I'm an impulse shopper. Anybody? Like I just I, I'm I'm in the dollar store, man. I'm like, oh, that thing's a dollar twenty-five. Let, let me just get three of those, right? And you know and. And, I, man, my son, Judah, he is an impulse shopper. Like, we went to the card store because he wanted to sell some, store, sell some cards and buy some new ones, and they didn't have the cards that he wanted to, to buy. And so I was like, buddy, do you want anything else? He ended up buying a $30 um, uh, card binder. And Christy's like, you let him do that? I was like, it was his money, you know? It's like bad fathering, I'm learning, all that. So, um, But how often... How often do we just look at stuff and we say, I have to have it, I have to have it, I have to have it. And listen, I'm not saying at all that there's anything wrong with having nice stuff. That is not what I'm saying. But let me, let me give you guys an example. And some of y'all are going to know exactly what I'm talking about in just a moment. A few weeks ago, Target released a pink cup. Some of y'all are laughing. You know exactly where I'm Some of y'all, some of you waited in line to get this pink cup, the pink Stanley cup. Y'all know what I'm, yep, y'all, some of y'all are like, you know what I'm talking about? I was talking to Shane, and he's like, we had 24 in our store, and there were hundreds who were lined up to get this pink cup. And so the manager came out and was like, if you're yelling at people, if you're not nice, you're out, you're not going to get it, right? Um, then there's this Starbucks, so there's this like this, and maybe I'm butchering this, so you can fact check me this, but there's this Starbucks Stanley pink cup, this one right here. This Starbucks Stanley pink cup, which was $45, is on sale through eBay for $12,777.77. Go fact check me. I double checked Yesterday, I kid you not, for a cup. Look, if you want a discount, there was another one for sale for $11,000. 
Like, do you know how many, you can manufacture your own pink Stanley Cup for that price, all right? I, like, that is absolutely astronomical. And you know what's crazy is that there are people, maybe even people in this room, that will pay that for a cup All of that for a cup. I'm with you. It's a, it's ab- they took the cup away. It's absolutely insane. But this is the lust of the eyes. We see something and we say, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. Do you really need to have it? Do you really need it? I've I got I to gotta go after it. I've got to get this. i got to. Do we really, really need it? Now, again, I'm not at all, if you want to go buy a Stanley Cup for $45, go right ahead. That's, that's you know, between you and God. And honestly, if it's a good cup, maybe it's worth it. I like Yetis, all right? Uh, just saying. And, and so, um, but, but here's my point with all of this stuff, guys, is either, either we are going to be serving King Jesus in our life or we're going to be serving the stuff of this world. Either we're going to be serving Jesus above all else or we're going to be living a life that's going to accumulate more stuff that's not going to go with us whenever we die and we go to glory. And Jesus says it like this. You can't serve two masters. You can either serve God or money. Now, you could take that money and you can replace it with literally anything. Either you serve Jesus or you're serving Satan. And it's, it's, that, it's that simple. It's that black or white. You, either we're serving Jesus and all that we have, or we're just living a life or a bunch of things that we're going to accumulate, which keeps us ultimately from our relationship with Jesus. I... Um, thought this was interesting, and I just want to talk to our Gen Zers for, for just a moment. Uh, TikTok has taken the world by storm. Anyone ever get caught in the TikTok trap, and you just find yourself there, like three of us? Okay, thank you for being, there we go. Thank you. All right. Uh, TikTok has taken the world by storm, especially during the pandemic, but there's one of these trends that's happening right now with TikTok, um, where the hashtag manifest or manifestation has just blown up with Gen Z. Some of you may know where I'm going with this. And the idea, the premises is this, is that if I just think about it, I can manifest it in my life. It's blown up so much that as of last month, TikTok has recorded people using the hashtag manifest has been viewed 26 Billion times. Billion. That is more people on earth, which means that there are people on earth viewing this over and over and over and over. So much so that Vice News decided to do an article about this in 2021, which at the time only had 12 billion views. And they said this having everything is what most of manifestations TikTok focuses on like wealth, beauty, or the perfect partner. In short, most people manifest things that are only beneficial for themselves. It's all about the lust of the eyes. 
And I just need to say this to, for someone to hear this today. This idea that you can manifest something that's going to make your life better is straight demonic. It is straight up demonic, and it is anti-Jesus. Only Jesus and his Holy Spirit should be the one manifesting anything in your life. And the manifestations he should be doing in your life is, let's say, love and peace and joy and gentleness. This idea that we can become our own gods and we can just make things happen is literally just pulling us further and further and further away from how God intended creation to be. And it's got some of us caught up in this trap, this trap of trying to keep up with our neighbors, this trap of trying to satisfy everything, and you're just going to be left empty and broken on the inside. And you get to the end of your life, and you're going to look back at it, and you're going to be like, there's so much of my life that I wasted trying to make something happen that wasn't in line with the king of kings. It is the same tricks that Satan used in Genesis chapter 3. It's the same tricks that Satan used in um, Jesus' time and in the first century church. It's the same tricks he's using today. It's just a different generation. The next gen is hungry for spiritual things. But the church is often quiet whenever it comes to the truth. What would happen if the church taught the next gen about the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting things in our life instead of TikTok? I'm about to get a little preachy here. Verse 11. Now we're going to move a little bit quicker. So as you can hear, they're playing the spiritual music, so I'm running out of time. Actually, I told him to come up here at that point, so this was all planned. All right. It says, so, so catch this. Jesus says in verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know what I think is really, really interesting is this is the Son of God. This is deity on earth in human form. And he could have called the angels. He could have, you know, uh, spoken and things would have happened and things would have taken place. But Jesus is here to model what life should be like for those that follow him. And what I think is interesting is it isn't until he goes through one test, two tests, three tests, that then the breakthrough comes and the angels actually show up in his life. See, many of us, we are crying out for breakthrough, but we're failing the test that God's put us in right now. And God wants to see your heart being transformed, your heart and your character being molded, your heart being humbled, your heart turning down the lust of your eyes and the lust of this flesh and saying yes to Jesus before we will experience the breakthrough that's going to happen on the other side. Like, I, like this to me just, just blows my mind right here, is that it wasn't until after he said, Satan, I'm not giving in. Be gone. He passed the test, and then the angels come to minister to Jesus because he's weak, and he's tired, and he's hungry. 
Many of us, we're in this testing season. We're in this wilderness season. And we want to know, God wants to know, what are you going to do? Who are you going to choose today? Who are you going to choose? Because what you choose today is going to be predicated on what ends up happening later. But I'm here to tell you, church, is that in the testing seasons, if you trust Jesus and you choose Jesus and you choose following his commands and his principles and his teachings, there is a blessing on the other side. Myself and my wife and our family are living proof of how trusting God in the hard times will revolutionize your life and your relationship with him. We've been going through it. Tell you, we've been going through it, and God is faithful over and over and over and over and over and over again to where I am dumbfounded to not trust God. What are you hungry for today? What are you thirsty for today? I love what Spurgeon says. He says this, but let us do what we will. We shall be tempted. God had one son without sin, but God never had a son without temptation. This is why we can read Hebrews chapter 4 where it talks about we have a high priest who can sympathize and empathize and understand the temptations and the struggles that we experience in life because he went through it. He went through it. And just like in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus identifying with sinners in baptism. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus identifying with sinners through trials and temptation. And this is something that my mind just kind of geeks out a little bit of Bible geeking out for just a moment as we start to close this up. And I promise you the next part is going to go real quick. We see um, three, and we talked about this briefly last week, we see three different baptisms in the New Testament. We see a believer's baptism that is done through uh, the water, the immersion into water. Then you also see a Holy Spirit baptism that you see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 16 where the Holy Spirit falls and the believer is filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. And then you also see a baptism of fire that ends up taking place. And that baptism of fire is where Christians are put through hard and challenging circumstances, a testing period, 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, to where in that God starts to refine your heart, refine your character to where you can become more and more and more like him. And what we see right here is in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus is baptized in water. In Matthew chapter 3, we see the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus, and then immediately after, in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus is baptized by fire, by putting through the temptation, by putting through the test, so that God can model for us what it looks like for us to follow him. He continues on in verses 12 through 17. He says, Now when he had heard that John, John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went to go live in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun, Zebulun and uh, Naphtali. I'm probably butchering that. Don't judge me. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 9 right here. He says, in the land of Nebulun, Goodness gracious. In the land of In, that's what we'll say, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, and on them a light has dawned. What we see here is Jesus' heart for those who are far from him. Because this was a pagan region. This was a Gentile region. And in the middle of the pagan worship, in the middle of a dark region in Galilee, the prophet Isaiah writes 900 years before Jesus is ever born that there is a light that's coming. And when the light shines, there is a new morning. The darkness is gone. And then Jesus appears. And he says, from this time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Jesus' heart for humanity. This is Jesus' heart is that everyone would hear the good news in the gospel of Jesus. That regardless of what we've been through, regardless of what gods we may worship in our culture, regardless of the things that we try to satisfy ourselves, that we would hear the gospel and that we would respond to the good news and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That we would respond in a way that light shines on darkness in our heart. He continues on. And this is where we're going to close. Verses 18 through 22, he says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on, from there he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, I'm assuming he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Something that I think is interesting is you're meeting four men, the first four disciples of Jesus. You're meeting Peter, Andrew, James, and John. James, the son of Zebedee, not James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. You're meeting these four disciples, and these four disciples are, are probably uh, pretty solid dudes. They would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 22 years old, which is why the next-gen matters so much. 18 to 22 years old, they would have been middle-class Small business owners, the type of guys that are going to go and they're going to bust their butt and they're going to come home and have a PBR at the end of the night and watch the football game, all right? But on top of that, they also knew the Scripture. And in order to understand what's taking place here, you have to understand the way Jewish education worked in that culture and in that time period. See, from the time you were born, if you were a Jewish son, you were really just raised and, and immersed in this culture of understanding and festivals and calendars and numbers and literature and text. And, and then from the age of 5 to 10, Jewish men would go or boys would go to school and their primary goal was to memorize the first five books of the Bible that we call the Torah. The first five books. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment, especially in our education. Like, we're happy 
if a seven-year-old memorizes three verses, right? It's like, woohoo, good job, Johnny, you, you memorized three verses. Like, listen, I have two kids in that age range, right? And it's like, come on, Allie, you know, come on, Judah, you memorized it. I mean, the, could you just imagine a seven-year-old memorizing numbers? Sounds exciting, right? But that's what they did. And then after that, at the age of 11 to 16, they would continue to study the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the ancient text. And they didn't necessarily have to memorize it, but they had to have a good understanding of what it meant and what the minor prophets and the major prophets and the Song of Solomon, which they couldn't even really read until they were around the age of 15 and 16 because it was so provocative. I'm telling you, you should go read it. It's pretty amazing. And, and so they're, they're reading this, and then they're understanding it. And then at the age of 16, a selection process took place. <clears throat> and what would happen is if you were a really, really, really good student, and you memorized all of the text, and you were studying in the Word, and you, you understood it all, a rabbi would walk in, and the highest honor in that Jewish culture was for the rabbi to turn to you and say, I choose you to be my disciple, and I choose you to be my disciple, and I choose you to be my disciple. The rest of you guys, y'all didn't make the cut. Go fish. And that's the way it worked. And then from the ages of 17 to 30, those disciples of the rabbi would study and mimic and learn and study and mimic and learn their rabbi, and their teachings until at the age of 30, they were ordained as a rabbi. And so what happened when Jesus showed up is Jesus showed up to men who did not make the cut in Jewish education. And he turned to them and he said, Peter, Andrew, put down your nets. Follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And there would have been no hesitation because a rabbi selected them. What religion said wasn't good enough, Jesus turned to and says, you are good enough, and I choose you. And that, man, is the power of the gospel of Jesus. Is you're not good enough. And I'm not good enough, but Jesus turns to us today and chooses you. I want to close with this, and I promise you I am done. I'm closing this. There's an ancient Jewish saying that for a disciple of a rabbi, that they would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that means is that a disciple would follow their teacher so closely in everything that they did, in studying the word, and going and serving the poor, and going into the temple and offering sacrifice, that they would literally be covered in the dust from the dirt of their rabbi as they walked. And what Jesus invites you and I to today is for us to be covered in the dust of the great rabbi, the great savior, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, 
who is the king, not just of the Jews, but the king of everything. And he invites you and I to be covered in his dust, to follow him, to dive into his teachings and his word, and to be led by the Spirit through water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism and fire so that we can be made into the image of our Savior. What we see, and worship team, you guys can come on out. We're going to close with this song, and we'll get you guys out of here in about five minutes. But what we see in this first part of Matthew, the first four chapters, is you see Jesus showing his followers how sometimes he goes into Egypt and he pulls us out of our Egypt. He shows us what it means to cross over the Jordan and through the waters of baptism. He shows us what it means to be in the wilderness so that he can cultivate your heart to become more and more and more like him. And what we're going to dive into next week is the start of his teaching ministry. And I cannot wait. It's going to be good. But today, let's stand to our feet. May we be covered in the dust of our rabbi. May we be covered in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for your love. And I thank you that we have an opportunity to respond today, to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, to be covered in your presence, God. Speak to us. In Jesus' name. As we sing, as we worship today, I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable or if you would like to as an individual or as a family, there's going to be communion elements at the back table. And then also, if you need prayer, uh, we're going to have prayer available in the back right now uh, as we worship. But let's sing and let's worship, and I'll come up here and I'll pronounce a blessing over us in just a moment.